Welcome to Vontable Now, our podcast series providing fresh perspectives on how to invest effectively in this new era. I am Andrew Crook, your host for these sessions. In today's episode, we're joined by two speakers, Graham Anderson, who's one of the founding partners of 24 Asset Management, and Benny Gay, Head of Intermediary Clients of Vontable Asset Management in Asia. Thanks so much for joining us, both of you. The focus today is around the theme of making an impact via integrating ESG within a fixed income portfolio. ESG and sustainability, probably the hottest topic in finance at the moment, and it doesn't look like changing. The flows into ESG funds were at a high in 2020 all around the world and including in Asia, and they've just continued into 2021. So within fixed income specifically, Graham, how does this benefit the asset class? Because it makes people think about risks in maybe a slightly different way than what they have traditionally thought of. I think fixed income managers have always thought of governance as a risk factor, but I think now having a formal process to think about environmental risks and social risks in your portfolio is a change. And I think that's probably the biggest impact that we've seen. Obviously, there are other themes like sustainability, which are now coming to the fore. But essentially, in fixed income, those are the themes, I think. That's great. Thank you. And obviously, we'll we'll dig a lot deeper over the course of this podcast. Benny, given in Asia the appreciation among investors for income, how are they embracing ESG-related bonds? Income has always been a core building block of investor portfolios in Asia since the financial crisis of 2008. And unlike sustainable and uh, impact equity funds, which uh, investors in Asia have been fairly exposed to, ESG-related bond investments are just starting to raise interest and awareness in Asia. Furthermore, I think asset managers will need to do more in helping investors understand the benefits, if any, of ESG-related bond investing. Okay, so Graham, let's think about this opportunity and this theme in a little bit more depth. A good starting point might be to look at what the role and influence is of sustainable fixed income in portfolios in the current environment. You can look at funds that don't have any ESG. You can look at funds that have got integration on ESG and then you think about sustainable funds and they could be through screening, they could be an impact fund, an ethical fund or some other theme. So really I think you have to think about where as an investor you want to come from in order to look at what you want out of your portfolio and where you think the opportunities are. Thank you. So so Benny There are obviously, as Graham's pointed out, these different definitions, but also different standards, multiple data sets. How in Asia, as this shift in focus towards ESG and sustainability broadly, as it gathers pace, how can investors tackle the challenge that they face from the existence of all these multiple different elements? Well, Andrew, You have noted the problems exactly as uh, investors have. ESG investing is fast becoming a black box to investors and they face serious risks such as uh, greenwashing. But the good news is regulators in Asia are taking positive steps to introduce some standardization to ESG investment frameworks. 
institutional investors and intermediaries are also in varying stages of developing their ESG investment framework and reporting requirements. So this hopefully translates into better informed decisions made by investors on ESG investments. That's interesting because I think, so in Europe, we've had some standardization recently in the EU. We've had the Sustainable Finance Disclosure Regulation, which has taken us one step forward, I think, in terms of people having some framework to work towards. It's something that's been really missing in, in Europe. And I think that has accelerated asset owners again in looking at where they want to place their money in terms of sustainable funds or integration funds. And I think that's one of the challenges for asset owners. So, I mean, I guess, Benny, that's something that you potentially can help them with. Yeah, certainly, Graham. As we all know, there are no one-size-fits-all solutions to processes um, for ESG integration. So it's pretty much a collaboration, in my opinion, where both investors and investment managers have a role to play. And aside from selection of ESG products, intermediaries, such as welfare managers and the asset managers need to also consider how they are now engaging with investors in their ESG journey. And I think it's possibly the way that we can help our clients implement processes so that their investors can make suitable selections. Thanks, Benny. Um, Graham, coming back to the European angle, as you mentioned with this step forward, I guess it highlights the fact that European investors broadly are considered probably the most advanced globally in terms of ESG investing. Are there any lessons that you think are worth investors elsewhere in the world, or certainly in Asia, learning from the way that the Europeans apply different methodology to integrate ESG within fixed income portfolios and measure the performance, given there are obviously still these challenges of transparency and data and others? When we started our ESG journey just over three years ago, we spent a huge amount of time upfront thinking through the implications of different models because you're right there's a wide range of output from different models out there there was a study done i think it was mit did a study a couple of years ago looking at the correlation between esg data outputs amongst the top five providers and the correlation was 62 percent i.e not very high what does that mean that means that depending on the ESG model that you choose, you can get very different answers from someone else. And I think for us, it was really important to understand where the answers were going to come from. So we spent a lot of time thinking about what model we wanted. Did we want it to be a data model? Did we want it to be more like a rating agency model? And that really does drive the rest of your development in the process. So Getting your model right up front allows you to adapt to changes in the future. The other thing that I would say is that people focus on environmental, social and governance, but as part of an integration process, I think you really need to think about what we call momentum, what some people call transition, and that is where you've got companies that are progressing their ESG metrics in a positive fashion going forward. And if those companies have got a demonstrable plan that they're reporting to, then I think it's important for capital markets to go on that journey with that company and support them. The other thing I would say that you 
shouldn't miss out on is what controversies can sometimes tell you. So, for example, we in our process look at controversies as an indication of a company's culture. So, for example, if it's a water company and they pollute a river by mistake, then that might just be exactly that, a mistake. But if you find that that is happening more than once, then you might look at that as something more controversial and something as an indicator of where that company's culture is. Benny, switching again back to Asia, ESG has traditionally been considered a risk management tool broadly. But in Asia, investors often want to see outperformance and they're very returns focused. So can ESG bonds actually offer them alpha? Asian investors so far in terms of ESG investing have been mainly focused on the environmental and sustainability aspects. And for ESG bonds, I think governance has a big part to play in delivering alpha. Governance, correct me if I'm wrong, Graham, is a key consideration to a bond issuer's future performance and ability to repay its debt. So without a doubt, I think ESG is fundamental for risk mitigation in bond investing. It's just that it's a newer notion for Asian investors. I'd also like to believe that, you know, with risk mitigation through ESG considerations in bond investing, I'd like to believe that outperformance should come naturally as a result. Graham, what's your perspective on potential for sustainable fixed income providing outperformance against the traditional investments? When we looked at, let's just say, integration for ESG three or four years ago, we first of all thought to ourselves, well, we're looking at the governance aspect. And and then we thought, well, this isn't new. We've, we've always looked at governance as fixed income managers. And I think that probably goes for most fixed income managers. They look at governance as an important factor in their performance. So I totally agree with you. I think the interest in the S part and the E part of ESG has tended to make better performing ESG companies outperform indices just because there's a weight of money going towards companies that perform well there. That may not always be the case. We might get to a point where yields on those companies get lower and other companies outperform. So there'll be some sort of cycle. But I think to the point that you made earlier, fixed income is a defensive asset class. And the best that can happen for a fixed income investor is that you get all your coupons and you get your principal back. So I think it's important in fixed income to look at what integration can do for you in that respect. And I think here, the biggest return delta in fixed income will be to avoid capital losses. I think where you can outperform in fixed income is probably more looking at where you can be defensive from an ESG perspective. I think the last thing I would say in terms of performance, though, is that the emergence of the green bond sector has got benefits clearly to society and the environment, but it also, because it's a new area, has got some disadvantages primarily because demand is greater than supply. So the return on a lot of green bonds is low. And generally, companies issuing green bonds can issue them at tighter spreads than otherwise, which is not always a great thing for the investor. One of the take-home messages I would say in 
all of this ESG world is that it is actually quite complex and you really do need to think through a lot of the issues because what you see in the surface is not always the right answer up front. Asian investors, when it comes to fixed income, have been really chasing higher returns, higher yields on on the bonds that they buy, and they've been consistently sacrificing credit quality in return for higher use. And I think it's really with this understanding that asset managers, fund managers have in ESG and the importance of governance that they can really help to mitigate the risk and downside of Asian bond investors. And that's where I think more information and more engagement with the investors would really help them to understand. Graham, following on from what you were talking about, the fact that it's such a a new area, ESG, within bond investing, there are probably misconceptions that investors have. What would you say some of the main ones are that you come across? Well, certainly when we started out, there was a big misconception between what was integration, what was sustainability, what was an ethical fund, what was an impact fund. And so I think it's quite important for investors to just at least in their own heads, figure out what the definition of those areas are. I think other misconceptions that that I find is that investors tend to jump to dark green, shall we say, or very sustainable because it sounds good and it sounds like doing the right thing and assuming that that's always better for investors. And I think that might not always be the case and as an extension to that I think one thing that we found is that there's a tendency amongst asset owners to think that exclusion is always better it's a bit more macho we're going to exclude that sector because we don't think it's right etc etc and I think if you take a step back excluding a sector might not be the best outcome for society or the environment for two reasons. One, if you actually don't exclude a sector, you can arguably engage with it and try and change what it is that uh, you don't like about it. The other downside to exclusion is that you could exclude a sector and say, for example, the capital markets excluded the oil and gas sector. Nobody was allowed to fund oil and gas in the public capital markets doesn't mean that oil and gas isn't going to still survive as an industry. It just means that it will go into private hands and we'll still get the production as long as it's not illegal, but you then can't engage. So those are some of the the misconceptions that I think from a top-down view that we've seen over the last few years. And I think investors run a serious risk of being impacted by greenwashing. So I guess to avoid possibly the widespread existence of greenwashing, investors could start by asking themselves, how am I engaging with my trusted advisor on the topic of ESG investments? They could actively discuss how ESG can make an impact in the topics they care about, such as improved investment in return, environmental and social impact, as well as risk mitigation in investments. At Vontobo, we have commissioned for the last two years large-scale online surveys on investor and consumer attitudes towards ESG. While awareness grows each year, a lack of information or understanding in products is what's keeping investors from engaging on ESG investments. 
This lack of information and engagement presents the largest window of opportunity for asset and wealth managers to lead the charge on changing investor attitudes towards ESG. Thanks both for those thoughts. We're actually coming towards the end of the podcast, but I think it'd be interesting for listeners if we just touched on a couple of popular themes. So, Graham, just starting with you, and then Benny, maybe you can give a perspective specifically for Asian investors. But Graham, what do you see as some of the popular themes influencing investor appetite for sustainable fixed income? And to what extent will they change potentially as the climate-related deadlines near? We are seeing social themes growing in terms of focus for portfolios, particularly around diversity, particularly around workforce issues, slavery issues. But I think it's, it's not just, if you go back to climate change, it's not just engaging with companies to try and be more efficient around CO2 or to try and emit less CO2. There's also technology, which is obviously coming to the fore more and more all the time. And for fixed income investors, I think one of the things that you have to be aware of is if you want to invest in an impact fund that's investing in companies developing new technologies, you have to be careful that you're not getting fixed income returns for equity risk, particularly when those technologies are new. And I think we touched on green bonds earlier. I think that's a a big theme. And again, as I said, some green bonds are issued in a good way where the proceeds are used properly and reported on. Some are not. Some green bonds are issued for specific projects from a company that might have a very bad ESG profile. So again, tick boxes and generalizations don't really work. But I think just ultimately, capital markets are responding to investor needs in getting us to a better societal and environmental outcome. And we should be pleased about that. It's just, it's not necessarily a straight, easy road. So in in the recent years, thematic investments have been most appealing for investors in Asia. And the most interesting themes for investors in Asia at the moment, in my opinion, are sustainability and impact, new energy and infrastructure. But ESG bond investments do not necessarily have to be built on themes. ESG considerations, on the other hand, need to become part of the investment process in traditional investments, even in, a say, a global flexible income strategy. That brings us to the end of our session on ESG. There are a huge number of practical insights to consider, and this theme has got a long way to run and develop. So to our listeners, thanks so much for joining. I hope you learned something valuable from that episode of Ontobel Now. And we look forward to continuing this conversation with you in our next podcast. Thank you. This recording is for information purposes only and nothing contained in this recording should constitute a solicitation or offer or recommendation to buy or sell any investment instruments, to affect any transactions, or to conclude any legal act of any kind whatsoever, except as permitted under applicable copyright laws. None of this information may be reproduced, adapted, uploaded to a third party, linked to, framed, performed in public, distributed, or transmitted in any form by any process without the specific written consent of Vontabel. To the maximum extent permitted by law, 
Fonsbell will not be liable in any way for any loss or damage suffered by you through the use or access to this information, or Fonsbell's failure to provide this information. Our liability for negligence, breach of contract, or contravention of any law as a result of our failure to provide this information, or any part of it, or for any problems with this information, which could not be lawfully excluded, is limited at our option and to the maximum extent permitted by law to resupply this information or any part of it to you, or to pay for the resupply of this information or any part of it to you. Keep in mind that past performance is not a reliable indicator of current or future performance, and forecasts are inherently limited and should not be relied upon as an indicator of future performance.